What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of National Pastime. John and Toaster here, as always. And, you know, the new cycle of the league never stops. And fortunately for us, if you're in the, the NFL podcast game, but um, we've got a few different topics here, football related, and then uh, some non-football related topics, I, I guess you could say, with some legal troubles of not only players, but you know, teams in the case of the Washington football team. We'll get into all the details there, how we think that stuff will ultimately play out on the field. And yeah, I think uh, Derek Carr gave us some, some good fodder to lead with here, uh, really tested our our ability to do maths today. So at least mine, as always. But anything else before we get started, Tester? This is a podcast. Seems a game to you? Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Then let's let's get this game started. All right. Let's get this game started. All right, Toaster. So it is supposed to be the slowest part of the NFL calendar, uh, yet feels like there's no shortage of news for us to talk about here. Uh, well, <laughs> apparently we're going to become a bit of a crime podcast. Uh, just given some of the stuff that's gone down in the last couple of weeks with uh, some players and the Washington football team, uh, which we'll get into in a little bit. But um, yeah, no no shortage of things to discuss. And uh, Derek Carr, uh, sound bites as well, right? It's like these guys have all this time on their hands, which leads to them, unfortunately, getting into some trouble occasionally, but also a lot of time to just talk. And uh, we'll start off with a great soundbite, I think, from Derek Carr saying that he feels the eight and eight Las Vegas Raiders were three to four plays away from 12 or 11 wins. I want to, I want to, I want to be clear here. He did actually get the, the alignment, right? It was four or three plays away from 12 or 11 wins. So at least he, he, at least he lined those up correctly. He wasn't saying three plays away from 12 wins or four plays away from 11 <laughs> yeah. wins. It's like, damn, I knew I was going to throw an interception. If I just had one more play, we would have lost that game. Um, now it was th- four or three and then 12 or 11, but yeah. But uh, if you look at the record, it, the math actually does add up. They were four, there were four one possession games that uh, they could have won. Um, I don't know about one play, but this is a game of momentum. That's what everybody's not counting here. He's not saying it was that one play. He's just saying if we just, you know, converted that third down and then it's butterfly effect could have changed the entire outcome. They might have been 16 or no. Who who knows? Um, But yeah, four or three plays away from 12 victories. Um, I don't think that they're even going to get 12 victories this year. So good luck to you, Derek Carr, on uh, changing, uh, changing history. Yeah, I mean, I suppose his math is correct, right? Like you said, they they had four uh, one possession losses. So there you go. You flip those those four, and you're you're at twelve wins. But on the other side of it, they also had one possession wins against the Panthers, the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Jets, and then the final week against Denver. So they very easily, by his logic, could also have had three wins. So again, uh, his math's right, but um, does it really matter here? Uh, no, absolutely not. Every team has these one possession games, right? It's like the NFL has this parody week to week, and every team can make these claims that they should have had 12 wins or could have had 12 wins uh, if a couple of plays here and there go their way. I don't see the, the Raiders necessarily earning those 12 wins like you you mentioned um 
you know, the Fitzmagic uh, game and how they handled that. They, they had plenty of other instances uh, in that situation where like the Jets game, for instance, the, the famous zero blitz that the Raiders converted and, uh, you know, anybody else, it was like the Jets were trying to lose games, um, which they very well could have been. Jets going to jet after all. But uh, yeah, I don't see how his claim really holds up when you you start looking at it closely. But his math holds up, so we'll get yeah. on that. There is dynamics that are changing with the Raiders. They signed Kenyon Drake to that contract that we didn't agree with, and they're pulling a they're pulling Myers, and they're talking about playing him at a wide receiver instead of run, at running back. So um, there's <laughs> there's a lot in the fold for the Raiders. Um, I'm not sure that most of it is uh, going to be effective, but hey, give it a shot. Well, John Gruden's got got some time. Well, I guess depending on who you ask, uh, <laughs> we we debated that last podcast. But yeah, he's he's got time to turn it around. Maybe maybe he's talking twelve wins over the course of like a year and a half or something. Like he yeah, didn't say how many games. There was no time scale there. Yeah. Yep. So there you go. All right, Derek. We well, believe in you, bud. Twelve wins before Derek Carr gets replaced by the next quarterback. Yeah, exactly. Marcus, Marcus Mariota, your time's up, bud. All right. Well, uh, before we get into, I think, some more of the, like I, I had mentioned, we'd becoming a, pri- a crime podcast here. Uh, we will still talk a little more football. Uh, Nikhil Harry, since we last potted, had uh, requested a trade or his agent had requested a trade from the Pats um, as our resident Pats expert with your your Patriots smoking jacket on there. Um, I'll give you first crack at your thoughts when you heard this come through. Um, it's it's sad, quite frankly. Um, when the Patriots drafted him in the first round, what was it, three years ago now, um, I was honestly not thrilled for his potential outlook because they don't develop wide receivers well. They are a timing and precision-based passing offense, and Nikhil Harry is a strong point of contact um contested ball catcher and that's not what a ball control offense possessive offense does right they don't throw up those 50 50 balls to someone like Nikhil harry they're looking for somebody open that's running crisp routes that they know that he's going to be at 5.5 yards you know four yards off the off the sideline and boom hit it on hit it on timing route so he was never set up for success and it just goes to show that players in systems can be the biggest differential in success and failure right we saw it with Tannehill and 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 Gase right he sucked in my well you would you would say he didn't quite suck but he was definitely I mean fodder for a trade at that point right wasn't he wasn't seen as their franchise savior and now he gets Tennessee and he is and I I hope that for Nikhil Harry I really do if he can get on latch on to somebody like the Colts would be great I don't think that the Patriots would trade him there but um uh, even the Texans, um, there's a lot of places that he could ultimately catch on to that would be, would revive his career. I don't think that he's done. I don't think he's done either, but I think, you know, when you look at what made him special in college and, you know, this is coming from a Sun Devil or as, uh, some of my recent friends that I met while here in Chicago referred to me a scum devil, um, (laughs) I, I, I love Nikhil. Uh, you know, when he was at ASU, he was awesome to watch. But what made him special was he was physically just overpowering at that level. 
He, even at that level, didn't get a lot of separation. And you can kind of see, like, there's a long list of guys that have come through the league in recent years that that they were dominant in college because they were contested catch guys. And all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, I mean, yeah, getting getting even the minor separation that you got in college is a hell of a lot harder now in the NFL. And you got guys that will go up and attack the ball as well on the defensive side. And he, those guys, the Nikhil Harrys, the, the reason he was successful at, at ASU is because they just fed him the ball. I mean, they just gave him every opportunity. And eventually, because of how big and physical he was, I mean, he would break one and he would break a couple, you know, and that's that's kind of what I think uh, threw people off to some degree, because a lot of times you don't think of these contested catch guys as big play guys. And he made a ton of big plays at ASU, but a lot of it was just run after catch, maybe to some degree lucky and, you know, playing against inferior competition and he takes it 50 yards on a, a bubble screen or something. So yeah, unfortunately his, his profile, I think we have a lot of examples of guys recently that just haven't, haven't panned out in the NFL with that same profile. And like you said, maybe there's a better fit for him. Maybe a place like the Texans could revive his career a little bit because they've got nothing else going for them. They could just scheme him play after play after play. But um, I'm unfortunately, yeah, it's a, another, another miss by Bill Belichick who uh, rarely misses, but unfortunately has uh, a handful of men at that position. He actually, it's not that he rarely misses. He, his draft record's not tremendous. Um, I think we've talked about this previously where he does much better at evaluating talent at the NFL level and reviving careers. So someone like a Nikhil Harry is someone that on the flip side, he could see on a struggling Texans team and say, yep, here's your sixth round draft pick. And we'll, we know exactly what we're going to do with him, right? He's going to run one route. It's a fade to the back corner of the end zone. We're going to run it three times a game and he's just going to go after it. Right. Um, so his draft record's actually been pretty poor and do want to also point out that uh, that was not the consensus draft pick at wide receiver by his own scouting department. So he actually made a, um, he, he pulled the veto card on that one and made this call himself. So that is definitely a bad look. And then um, the other question. And my, my understanding was that that was because of his relationship with, I believe, Todd Graham. Does that sound I believe, right? I believe so too. Yeah. Um, and the, looking at his pedigree for drafting Alabama players and Rutgers players, his relationships with coaches often override um, the the scouting profile. Um, just because it, it all comes down to trust, right? And he's put a lot of trust in Nick Saban. Go, go figure. Um, it's worked out well for him. And um, it, it's that that probably blinded him quite quite a bit. Um, the next question that obviously comes up is why are we trading him instead of cutting him straight up? Right. And that's just to control where he goes, because like I said, if the Colts pick him up for a veteran minimum contract, then the AFC, the AFC just got that much tougher for them to compete in. So they're going to want to get him either to a non-competitive team in the AFC or out of the conference completely. And they can control that narrative because he is still under contract. So where ultimately do you think he goes that I think the options are somewhat limited as far as teams that would be willing to take a flyer. I, I know like the, what's being thrown around is a conditional sixth is all it would take and that's nothing. But, you know, what team is really in need of a guy with his skill set that you think makes sense as a trade partner for the Patriots? 
Um, honestly, a Jimmy G for Nikhil Harry swap sounds perfect for both sides. Uh, no, uh, I would say someone like the Eagles, uh, quite frankly, that they, they've got two young wide receivers. Um, but I don't really see that point of, again, contention, a big body. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. And especially with Zach Ertz potentially on the outs as well. Um, cause I do think, uh, Belichick tried him at tight end for a little bit too. And he, he has enough size to be a, be a spread tight end. Um, yeah, modern day you tight exactly. end. Exactly. So yeah. I think I think the Eagles would make sense. I don't think that he would ultimately get sent shipped off to Seattle, but um, it, anything that Russ could get a six rounder, they like throwing away their draft picks anyways. Um, yeah. And then Washington football team is probably the best fit for him um, at this point, just because again they're lacking that specific. Uh, big body wide receiver. Yeah, I, th- I think Washington makes a lot of sense for me. What about the Arizona Cardinals? I know that's yeah. been thrown around. It'd be awesome to have a hometown reunion for him. Yeah. I just, Kyler Murray already struggles enough with accuracy, in my opinion. And maybe you can say then a contested catch person's perfect for him. But I think they've got what they need in Hopkins. And um, I actually still have some faith in AJ Green. I think it's less because of Murray, but I, I just I, I don't see it with the Cardinals. I don't I don't see what they gain by giving up a six round draft pick for for him. Um, they've already got a pretty a pretty deep wide receiving core. Um, I think that they'd go after a tight end, a true tight end over over Harry. Over Harry, yeah, that's fair. I I do think it probably depends on how much faith they actually have in AJ Green. Because at this point in his career, I'm not sure AJ Green is anything more than a bigger body, um, you know, big catch radius guy. So, but uh, a proven big body catch radius guy, went healthy, obviously. Uh, but he's got the experience that will separate him from Nikhil Harry in those contested catch situations, right? He's been perfecting his form for 10 years now on how to, even with minimal separation, body somebody off and fight for the ball appropriately and Nikhil's had what averaged 40 receptions a, a year over the past two years yeah I don't even think so he had 33 catches last year and I don't think he had did he have that many his rookie year I thought he was up to 80 catches at this point oh in total yeah yeah I, either way nothing impressive right from him uh so yeah you're right how soon do you think something would go down i'm I'm assuming bill belichick is gonna take his agent up on this and get us even if just a sixth round, sixth round pick he's gonna do that um i i can see it um dwindling into training camp a little bit give him a shot you have a lot of new people on that team, right? They basically revamped their entire receiving core, um, two tight ends, two wide receivers that they expect to be starting wide receivers. And so I think Belichick would give him that opportunity. This was the reason the trade request came out was really to me, it was them trying to beat the Patriots to the punch so that the Patriots didn't come out with the narrative that we're we're putting him on the trading block. This is Nikhil Harry trying to say, no, I want to be traded because I'm not getting the opportunities. And the fact that he's saying he didn't get the opportunities he needs is absolutely ridiculous because look who is competing against last year, right? Yeah, uh, Jacoby Myers, right? A UDFA. It's like, you are a first-round pick, dude. Um, You've gotten every opportunity, yeah. Yeah, and we're probably not, like you said, we're not even having this conversation, I don't think, if it's not for his uh, draft pedigree. 
uh, being a first round pick. Not that Belichick puts too much stock into that, but I mean, at this point, you'd probably just cut bait, right? If if it was anybody yeah, you, else, you cut you would cut bait. And the only reason, again, you're not completely cutting and you'd prefer trade is just to comp- control where he goes because of his draft pedigree. And if he was a fourth rounder, you'd say, hey, throw him in the pool, see see which fish bite. Um, and yeah. I do want to correct myself. He does average 40 receptions a year if you only count the fact that he's played two years and equated to one year because he has 45 career receptions. He had 12 <laughs> okay. receptions his rookie year. All right. Well, there you go. Okay. Well, well, I guess we'll find out here soon. Um, I agree with you that I think training camp makes some sense. I, we'll see if he actually suits up for the Pats in training camp. But let's say a, a guy like a AJ Green gets hurt, then maybe that opens the door for um, for a team to that jump would, in. And- yeah, he would be dumb to not suit up. Quite frankly, he's he's ruining his value by if you want to call it a training camp holdout, especially now that those fines are yeah. non-negotiable and cost him fifty thousand a day. So he he will be there. Stefan Gilmore may not be, but I still I do think that Stefan Gilmore has a much higher chance of being on the Patriots come week one than than Nikhil Harry. Well, he's he's a more valuable player, right? And at, at the end of the they're day, both, that's all Bill Belichick. They're, they're both first about. round draft picks. They're equal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, anything else before we move on to, uh, I don't know how, what you want to call our new true crime podcast here, but uh, anything else on the kill, Harry? No, I think, I think I'm good with him. Um, uh, we can move on just like the Patriots will. Okay, perfect. Well, so I guess maybe we'll start at the team level here um, with the Washington football team. Uh, we've uh, talked about it on Twitter a little bit. I floated the uh, the segment name "Bump It or Dump It," uh, thanks to your, you know, mention of the the Friday news dump as it was, and uh, them trying to bury the lead basically here. But um, for anyone not aware, the Washington Football Team was fined ten million dollars by the NFL for fostering a workplace culture where sexual harassment, bullying, and intimidation were commonplace. Um, the league, uh, or there was an indive- uh, independent investigation held. Is that correct? Um, independent in that it was paid for by Dan Snyder for his own workplace investigation. Yes, but it was an impartial third party um, per se. Yeah, uh, but it, it wasn't the NFL uh, conducting the investigation is ultimately what no, it was. The, the NFL spent absolutely zero dollars on investigating this systemic workplace misconduct. Um, Dan Snyder ultimately ended up paying $7 million for the investigation, plus the $10 million fine, which I do want to point out, is 10 times larger than any fine the NFL has ever handed out. So ultimately, this investigation and fine cost him $17 million. Yeah, okay. Uh, which, for a billionaire owner, uh, isn't isn't too much. I mean... Um, billionaire co-owner, excuse me. Co- co-CEO, co-CEO. So as as part of this, um, Snyder has, the Snyder family has named Tanya Snyder, uh, Dan Snyder's wife, co-CEO, and she will oversee the day-to-day operations of the club. Um, the league has said that they, they basically said the bare minimum, right? Uh, they announced the fine in a little press release. Uh, they said that they won't release anything else from the investigation. Um, they're, they declined to release a report. It's, 
I don't know. It it's classic NFL doing as little as possible, as little as they need to do to make it seem like they care. They really don't. Um, well, and th- this is again goes back to controlling the narrative, like Nikhil Harry's trying to do. Tanya Snyder was named co-CEO on Tuesday. That means there was definitely a smoking gun by Tuesday. Yeah. And yeah. the NFL deliberately decided to wait until right before the extended 4th of July holiday vacation to dump this news story. And to me, the reason there is no written record, they say it's for protecting the, the victims. There were over 150 uh, people that were claiming misconduct, or at least that were investigated as part of the misconduct. Um, this is protecting their brand. They control this one. They can't control that Frank Clark had a gun in his car and wipe that under the rug. But they can say, hey, this was an internal owner and we're going to protect our own. He's one of our 32. Uh, The commissioner ultimately is employed by the NFL owners. So what they don't want is a system where uh, accusations end up in owners losing ownership because that's bad for their brand. And so let's just say $10 million, you guys really done fucked but nobody needs to know what happened. And I uh, I really hope that there's a leak at some point just to blow this up because to me, this is exactly like the Ray Rice incident where, okay, here's two games, you did something bad, and then you see the video, and okay, now you're out of the league. And there is no video at this point. There is no written record. We don't know what was said, but the fact that it was $10 million to me says that there were some pretty egregious practices going on that probably would not work in a typical ownership um, or business scenario yeah for sure and i'll give you i guess a a plat mini platform here to sort of discuss when you're comparing this to other investigations and uh team issued um punishments like deflate gate and there's this is absolutely 100 percent more egregious than Tom Brady deflating or somebody allegedly deflating some footballs for a game. And yet the, what the league did there in that instance and in punishment and investigation is tenfold despite the fine number, but it, you know, loss of draft picks, right? Just month long, months long investigation. Like years long. Brady didn't serve a suspension until a whole year after that AFC championship game. Yeah, so there you go. It's just yeah, it's it's again my I love the product on the field. I don't like the culture behind the product because the NFL is not they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. They want inclusivity include or inclusion, diversity and, you know, people to be role models for society and then that works on Sundays between, you know, the four hours that they're on the field. And then after that, they aren't actually doing anything to be transparent, to correct the situation. T- Tanya Snyder's the C- the co-CEO and now in charge of day-to-day operations. How does the conversation not go, hey, honey, how was your day-to-day? Like, what? Snyder's still completely in control of the situation despite yeah. not having the title, right? So, th- ha- again... Other other organizations suspend their owners. They're you know they're okay. You're not allowed. You're not allowed at the ballpark for a year 
right? When things like yeah. this has happened. So the fact that there's really no punishment is quite frankly infuriating. Yeah. And like you said, we see it time and time again with the NFL. I, I do think they're taking steps, but at the end of the day, your actions are all that matter. And yeah. the league clearly isn't taking it seriously enough. So no, they're not. I mean, this basketball is done is far and away better at this with how they're, they treat their owners as essentially culpable for their, their actions. And this is not saying that Dan Snyder was complete integrated in any of the actual, you know, allegations, but as the CEO, you are ultimately responsible. Starts at the top. Yeah, exactly. it starts at the top. I mean, this just also as somebody that comes like my background in, in media. It's like it, this is such an old school like media ploy to like say, oh, Tanya is now the co-CEO and running running the show. And hey, we issued the biggest fine we've ever issued. It's like think they think like people only get their news from like one source. Right. And that people are just waiting for the NFL to tell them what's going down. It's like. No, man, people can get information from all over the place. At the end of the day, like obviously it's an independent investigation, so it's not like you can get that stuff. But, you know, reporters have, outside reporters have, you know, been, I guess, investigating or looking into this whole thing. And, it, you know, we know how many allegations there were. And it's like, in today's day and age, you don't just get to slap a Band-Aid on it and say, oh, look, we, we had a boo-boo, but um, guess what? Tanya's in charge now, so we're good. It, that doesn't change anything. It doesn't change public perception the way it used to when people were sitting there waiting for the newspaper to show up on their doorstep. So it's just, it's outdated, it's dumb, and they need to do more for sure. Uh, the only caveat I'd put on that is we are in a, a culture right now that has a limited attention span, and a lot of time that attention span is limited to the title of an article rather than the actual content within the article so unfortunately yes just that i mean that's what the clickbait all of that is about right now is people will regurgitate the article as though they read the article when really they've only read the headline um so come to national pastime get the full details i think is the long and short of the story yeah exactly all right well we're not going to waste any more of our time on this news dump, but uh, there are a few other things to get to here. You had mentioned Frank Clark. So um, Kansas City defensive end Frank Clark is facing three years in prison on felony weapon possession charge, uh, a felony weapon possession charge. It stems from an incident in March where he got pulled over and had firearms in his car, but he, he actually had a more recent situation in June as well, where he was also pulled over. I think they called it a routine traffic stop, saw a duffel bag in his backseat with a rifle. Um, in, this is a guy Uzi. with yeah. an Uzi. Yes, sorry. Um, not a gun guy here, so I, I'm not sure the correct terminology. But uh, he also you know, had issues at Michigan. He's He's got a bit of a checkered past, and but he's a very good player, and we know how the NFL handles those situations. Um, still, this puts Kansas City in a tough spot, does it not? It puts them in a terrible spot. They created a second round draft pick for him just two years ago and then signed him to a five year, hundred plus million dollar contract. And I don't quite frankly know what they do here. This to me is in the protection of the brand of the league, not acceptable to put him on the commissioner's exempt list for this. I think that 
Roger Goodell has to force the hand of the Chiefs to say, this is your problem. This is your player. And because the it the difference between this and like a Deshaun Watson situation is the allegations are much more he said, she said. And I do believe in, you know, there's a lot that's tried in the media, but really you are innocent until proven guilty. And in this in this case, the quote unquote uh, guilty side of things is coming from an officer that pulled him over. And it's hard to deny there was a weapon in his car. So he will need to be suspended regardless of whether or not it comes down that he's going to spend three years in jail or even be convicted of this. The fact that he's a multiple time offender for the same exact thing with the domestic violence situation that the league's dealing with and the weapons issues that the league's dealing with. Uh, he's got to be suspended. And I think Goodell's going to make that come from the chiefs and they can cut bait with them and take a $26 million cap hit this year, $6 million cap hit next year and, and move on. But he's an integral part of their defense. Well, at least he is on paper. He did not perform well last year. Um, but that's a big bite to chew off when there is no conviction. There is no saying that he must be out of the league I don't know what you do here as the Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, you look at the situation, though, and this could be ongoing for years, right? And do the Chiefs really want to have something like this hanging over them? It, it might be worth it for them to make the cut, take the, take the dead cap hit, and obviously there's a smaller um, manageable dead cap hit next year associated with it as well if they do it. But... Um, you know, essentially free up that space and just move on. Um, you know, it's, again, we just talked about how the league doesn't do enough, doesn't action enough to back up their stance on a lot of these things. And granted, the Kansas City Chiefs do employ Tyree Kill, who has his own uh, past, but uh, this would be, I think, a statement from the Chiefs as well that they're well, he, and not, don't forget the Kareem Hunt situation was also while he was a chief. So that's right. three pretty big strikes. Um, and they did move on from from Hunt. They brought Tyreek back in and gave him a big contract. And now what do you do with with this situation? Because you're going to be under scrutiny. That Not saying that, that their culture by any means fosters that. I don't want to say that I'm implying that at all. But the fact that yeah. you've had three high-profile players that have gone through situations like this the last one you you kept you cut one what do you do with what do you do with Frank Clark yeah i i ultimately think it's it's got to be a cut i don't know i i think they have to move on if it were me i would move on and deal with the dead cap it now like you said they didn't get their money's worth last year anyway so just move on yeah, I, that team's about the offense anyway right yeah, no, the the only issue I have in moving on is the innocent until proven guilty aspect of things. And so um, the media, you, you've you got to deal with it. And I do think that cut is ultimately probably where this lands, but it would just suck for the details to come out and say, okay, yeah, that was actually his security guards, Uzi. You know, he didn't check his duffel bag in his back seat. It wasn't his property. It's not registered to him, yada, yada, yada. And now you've got, you've, it is 
his career ultimately, right? He's 28 years old right now, 29 pass rushers don't age tremendously well. So it's, it's a balancing situation between justice and the justice system probably taking too long, quite frankly, and then uh, what the ch Chiefs need to do from a business standpoint. But I agree with you. Ultimately, I think cut is where it goes um, just because of how clear cut it seems the evidence probably is in this case. Yeah, and again, if he was had a squeaky clean past, then you know maybe you you give him more of the benefit of the doubt here. But I just don't, I don't know. Unfortunately, man, you you've made mistakes in the past, and you're going to be judged by that, you know, for better or worse. And like you said, this seems to be pretty clear cut <laughs> to some degree. So, all right, well, I guess we'll we'll see what happens there. But uh, that's that's a pretty big one, you know. Sounds uh, like a clear cut. Sounds like a clear cut. There you go. Um, all right. So I guess continuing on here, uh, I don't know. You want to go Josh Gordon? Uh, well, I mean, it's it's ironic because of we just talked about how you've had chances in the past. You fucked up for Frank Clark and Josh Gordon's yeah. now re applying for reinstatement for, I think, the 17th time in his. No, um, but it's at least his third or several fourth times. Time um applying for reinstatement obviously his demons are a little bit different than what frank clark's demons have been um and now yeah. uh josh gordon's demons have been a little bit placated by federal stance as well as the stance in most states um but to that point the last time he was reinstated he fell back into the, his same old ways and yeah. didn't even get to play a game right yeah. I mean, he, he clearly has a problem. Uh, I'm just, I will make my stance known. I don't have an issue if guys want to smoke pot, if it helps them. Um, I think it should be legalized in the league. It's legal, what, in 19 U.S. states now. It's It just doesn't make any sense that the league polices that sh more strongly than they do like prescription drug medication or something. But yeah. um but to still that, to that point, you would think that if the league saw any opportunity to have something that could get like Toradol out of the league where these guys are constantly taking painkillers, injecting painkillers, that there's something that might have maybe a little less science around it just because it has it doesn't have an owner. Right. Um, right. Drug companies obviously fund studies to prove that their drugs are effective and not addictive, typically is what they say. Um so marijuana doesn't have that same benefit from a clinical evidence standpoint, but why not? Why would you not give your players every opportunity to say something that this does not enhance performance? All it does is make it a safer league, quite frankly. Yeah. And I think we'll, we'll probably be in a situation a couple of years from now where it's not only completely illegal in this country, but you know, the NFL will probably even get ahead of that and remove it. Uh, as a banned substance anyway. And then we're going to be looking back at somebody like Josh Gordon, who, you know, again, has made mistakes. It, it is illegal, has been illegal in the league. And he continues to fall back into, you know, using and getting caught. And um, that's on him 100%. But we're talking about a guy that, you know, his second year in the league in 14 games led the league with almost 1,700 receiving yards. Um, I mean, absolutely incredible. It's why he continues to get chances. And, uh, you know, one of the most talented guys we've ever seen. And it just sucks that, you know, his, we've been robbed of potentially more of those types of seasons um, because 
we're, we're deeming pot like to be this this egregious mistake that he's made um i just don't i i hate it it sucks i hope for josh's sake that he is reinstated um i hope also for his sake that he's able to abstain and actually play games um although at this point I'm not sure how how effective he will be um you know he's 30 um, he has a touchdown in the in the uh one of the, what football league was that fan controlled football league that he showed up for for a hot second <laughs> yeah yeah well I think hey, it was maybe... a game winning touchdown actually too was it well yeah there you go he's clutch well i mean he's, he's used to playing with four quarterbacks his 1700 yard receiving season he had jason campbell brian brandon whedon and brian hoyer throwing him the ball and he got 1700 yards out of it nine touchdowns um they only Insane. had yeah they only had 26 passing touchdowns between them um that season so he had basically over a third of all of their production and then i mean from a yardage standpoint he had well over a third of their production so um he's a one-man show there um he again balled out for a game or two in the fan-controlled football league and i would love to see him get another shot i mean he is probably one of the most athletic people i've ever seen play Unfortunately, I haven't been able to see him play well or consistently since 20. Yeah, enough. It's been eight yeah. years since he's been consistently in the league. That's wild. Yeah, he. I remember his last stint um, that he really saw some time. Who who would it have been with? Well, was it Seattle? I yeah, guess? Seattle was his a few last games? landing spot, but he 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 uh, hung on with the uh, New England Patriots for for a season yeah. and a half however you want to do the everyone you want to do the math on that um games, since he, yeah. yeah since he got traded mid-season or cut mid-season sorry but yeah he he was fantastic or at least was legitimately looked like a wide receiver one for the new england patriots until he had that again relapse and uh wasn't able to continue yeah i i think i picked him up when he was with the seahawks in fantasy and I, you know, just threw on one of their games, like his first game back. It is remarkable how large and fast he is. I mean, he looks like he was built in a lab. Mm -hmm. And it's it sucks that we've been robbed of seeing that. So, yeah, uh, let's hope for Josh's sake, he's got his, his own stuff figured out. And, um, you know, the league reinstates him here. And we, as fans, get to enjoy watching him play. Yeah, I just hope the league doesn't hold on to the reinstatement as long as they did last time. I think they let him linger for four or five months last time. Yeah. And let's get him into training camp. Let's get him into an organized regimen. Because I think that's the biggest thing for these for these guys, especially like the transition from college to the pros, right? In college, you you wake up, you football, you go to class, or you pay someone else to go to class, and then you go to practice, play games, when once you get into the pros, there's so much more free time, and that's where most of these issues end up happening. Yeah, uh, it's unfortunate that the the league definitely could, I think, do more to protect these guys. I know it's ultimately on them; they're millionaires. They don't necessarily need babysitters, but um, you know, you want to protect your investments. Josh Gordon seemed like a pretty good investment uh, at one point. You'd think the league would have. He was a great, he was a great investment because he's never had to be paid a second contract. 
Yeah. So he's yeah. basically on his rookie price scale still because nobody's signing him to a, a five-year, $100 million contract, giving him Hopkins money at $25 million and then having to say that's just sitting on the bench somewhere, sitting in the rehab center somewhere. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of crazy to think about like, you know, broad strokes here, but you can you can abuse somebody, you can, you know, commit these violent crimes and hey, we'll bring you back. But if you smoke pot or you kneel during the anthem, get your ass out of here. You know, it's like it's wild to think about in that context. But uh such yeah, is the situation. Yeah, because normally players with his talent are protected, to your point on that, right? Um obviously domestic violence never should happen but there's a different basically scope under the league's uh microscope um if you're a top tier quarterback top tier wide receiver basically a skill player is going to get a lot more leniency yep. in those situations than a backup lineman backup linebacker um so it's a it's a shame and why the league chose to take their stance on on him i'm, I'm not sure other than it is illegal under their bylaws. They've got to enforce their bylaws. So I think it's time for the bylaws to change. And hopefully we can see him this year. All right. I believe that is everything unless you wanted to recap the match. Uh, no, Any, anything stand out the to match, you there? The okay. match didn't happen. The match um, didn't happen. Oh, because Brady lost? Yeah. Oh, okay. His ball, no, his I, ball boy wasn't there, so... Um, yeah, he he lost his uh, championship engraved or stamped ball on hole number one, and he just <laughs> he went downhill from there. Yeah, uh, I think the the biggest thing you know that stood out about the match was just the Aaron Rodgers drama, right? And how much course, it was yeah. rehashed throughout the day. Um, you know, Gronk saying that Rodgers spent lazier <laughs> than he was in retirement was great, especially not knowing that Aaron was on the was call. On the wall. Yeah, exactly. that's even oh. better. Um, Brady's saying that he's the leader of the Packers, I think, is yeah. awesome. And then obviously Rodgers straight up was asked uh, if he'll be playing for the Packers. And he says, I don't know. So uh, good stuff. I don't you know, think we need to get into it too much. We've talked about Aaron Rodgers a lot. And we will obviously talk more about him when there's something new to talk about. This seems to be par for the course, if you will, uh, for Rodgers over these last few weeks just avoiding the topic as much as possible. I just feel so bad for that fan base, um, what he's putting him through right now. He can say that he cares about his fans, but uh, he's doing nothing to show that right now. Um, but if match five does come up, I'm thinking like a Gronkowski brothers, like uh, scramble would be a pretty good, uh, maybe just one hole or something, but to, to watch uh, Gronkowski try to try to rip a ball. Gronk spike, Gronk spike it into the cup or something. Um, I think that that would be yeah. some some solid entertainment. He's always a good time. Yeah, the the beverage cart better be coming around frequently for that round. Let me tell He's you, he's going to be driving the beverage cart. <laughs> he probably will. He won't even have clubs. He's yeah. like, yeah, whatever. Oh, cool. He's like, All you right, said man. it was a shotgun start. I already shotgun it here. <laughs> hey, I'm not going to hate on that. Okay, that's. That's that is the play, I think, for me as well. All right. Well, anything else before we go here, Toaster? No, I think that that covers it for uh, today's pod. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. As always, um, you know we appreciate it. Please subscribe where you get your pods. Follow us on Twitter at MPTFBall. 
um, yeah, we're, we're getting close here. We're a few weeks away from the start of training camp and that's when things will really start cranking up. Although again, it feels like there's no shortage of things for us to talk about, but, um, yeah, uh, we're getting stoked. We're inching closer and closer to actually seeing football again and not the spring league slash summer league, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, um, real football. Well, I'm excited for the uh, Hard Knocks tour of AT&T Stadium. Um, Want to see the back dancing rooms that uh, Jerry World's there. I think that there's a a, a slot, uh, a slip for his yacht at that stadium as well. Um, oh. So if we can just get a full tour of everything, that would be great. Who cares about Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, Ezekiel Elliott, any of those guys? Let's just let's just have a good time at that stadium. In Allegiant Stadium, yeah. you're next. Oh yeah, hey. Derek Carr and the Raiders, just a few few wins, a few plays away from 12 wins. I think they'd make for an interesting uh, hard knocks season there. So I'm with you. Speaking All right, everybody. Knocks, how many how many arrests are there going to be for visiting teams now that they can go to Vegas and actually do stuff? I think last oh, year was a trial God. year because uh, everything was closed. But now uh, you might want to be on lockdown in those uh, hotels. But even if you can't leave your hotel, you're still able to have a plenty good time in Vegas. They have a jail in that stadium, right? They better have a state-of-the-art jail, <laughs> a drunk tank. <laughs> They're going to need it for sure. <laughs>